This is the Building a Leadership Culture Podcast, hosted by Bruce Gresham, the Principal Strategic Advisor of Applied Vision Works. An in-depth look at how Bruce and President Don Hadley help businesses reach their long-term goals. Here's your host, Bruce Gresham. Welcome to Building a Leadership Culture Podcast, brought to you by Applied Vision Works. I'm your host, Bruce Gresham, and I'm so grateful to be a part of the ABW team. We're a business coaching firm that partners with business owners and teams to build a better quality of life, stronger organizations, and attain greater achievements. You can learn more at AppliedVisionWorks.com or give me a call at 919-739-2980. We're jumping into part two of the podcast, focusing on creating company culture with a changing workforce. We have Alex Pantich, co-founder and chief operating officer of Upshift. Really enjoyed our uh, first part of the conversation, Alex. Thanks for uh, joining me today. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to jump into this Forbes article that you published uh, maybe a few weeks ago in regards to wage inflation and how to handle it in this uh, post-COVID world in which we find ourselves. What was your premise of, of that article? Yes, I mean the the reason I I started to write it was honestly just how surprising the drastic change in wages was over the course of this COVID crisis. I've never seen wages go up so quickly, and we have spoken to a lot of clients and potential clients who are trying to understand it and trying to understand ways to solve for it. The obvious way to solve it is raising wages, but that's something that not every business can do, especially when wages are going up, you know, 30 to 40% in some industries as we've seen. That's excellent. And one of your main points in the article is around reducing screening requirements. How critical is is that to, to business owners and leaders? It's extremely critical. And the reason being, this is not an employer's labor market right now. There are more jobs than there are people. And in order to get people, you need to move quick. People do not want to wait for long drawn out screening processes. And a lot of people don't necessarily want to make large time investments just for the chance of having a job. Um, And I can give you an example. So the traditional hiring process for most businesses in the e-commerce manufacturing fulfillment sector is to have someone submit a resume, which for a lot of hourly workers is, is asking a lot because it's not something they do every day, writing. A lot of them haven't done it since high school. And after they've submitted that resume to you, they then have to wait for you to get back to them. You get back to them and you maybe ask them to do two interviews. By the time they've done these two interviews, they don't even know what hours they might be working or what their pay is going to be because all you've given them is a range and some of the shifts that you have available. And at that point, if you extend them a preliminary offer, a lot of the times, then they have to wait for a background check to come back and they have to go and take a drug test somewhere and wait for those results to come back. So you can imagine that process is upwards of two weeks in some cases. And a lot of people aren't going to wait that long for a job when other employers aren't requiring them to wait two weeks to start working or are willing to give them that information on the front end on what they're going to do. And we found that a lot of those screening procedures, especially for lower skilled hourly work, just are not necessary. When you have someone coming in to work a lower skilled assembler or packer job, Most people can learn how to do that job in under half an hour. Having someone go through two interviews to do it does not make sense. And it makes a lot more sense to get them on the floor quick and see if they can do that job or not. And if they can't, it's not going to work. They're not going to be a good fit. If they are, if they can do it, that's great. You can start them right away. And we find that other forms of, of screening that make people wait 
are also relatively ineffective with a large one being drug tests. So you see a lot of employers still using drug tests just because that was the thing to do 20 years ago for pre-employment screening. And what we have found is that it's really counterproductive for a couple of reasons. First, it's costing you money. And second, there's not much benefit to that money that you're spending. You're making that person wait to get that result back and drive somewhere to take that test, which means you're likely to lose that person in the recruiting process first. And then second, drug tests, from what we found, pre-employment drug tests don't really work to screen out the people who are going to be an issue due to drug use. And the reason for that is the drugs that you're most concerned about in the workplace are ones that are generally out of your system pretty quickly. And people can get them out of their system, take a clean drug test, and then go back to using the next day. And you know, one example I can give you, real world example where we saw this is we had a client in Ohio who was using three temp agencies before us. And they were having all of the temp agencies drug test everyone before they came into work. And even with doing that, they were still having a couple people every month overdosing in their parking lot from these temp agencies, even though they passed a clean drug test. Because as I mentioned before, agencies really don't do any screening other than those drug tests. And those drug tests, as I just mentioned, don't really work. And so we went in and started working with them. We eliminated the drug testing requirement, which got them a lot more applicants because people didn't have to wait for the screening. And we, knock on wood, have not had any of the same issues that those temporary agencies had. So we found that with drug testing policy, it's much better to do an at-work testing policy, which consists of suspicious and random drug testing versus doing mandated pre-employment drug testing. One of the industries, and you work with many with Upshift, but one of the industries that's obviously been hardest hit is the food service industry. What trends, things are you seeing through COVID with hourly workers in that space? We service, as you mentioned, both the food service industry and the light industrial sector. And what we found is that a lot of those jobs in hospitality, as they went away, people stayed on unemployment when it was an extra $600 a week. But when it went down, most of those people have now transitioned to new jobs in e-commerce or manufacturing. Wages are higher there. If you look at hotels or restaurants or food service operators prior to COVID, a lot of them were paying $12 an hour, $11 an hour for the same type of skill set and person who is getting paid. 15 to $17 an hour starting with no experience in the e-commerce sector. And so in order to get those people back working in the food service industry, there's going to need to be some changes. And first one is probably going to be raising wages somewhat, which we've started to see. And the second one is going to be allowing for more flexibility. A lot of those food service and hospitality roles lend themselves to a model where people can work relatively flexibly. And we found that Offering a flexible schedule to someone is equivalent to a raise, letting them choose when they're going to work. And we've also found that there's a limited amount of people who are able to commit to 40 hours a week or 30 hours a week at a schedule you give them. There's a much larger pool of people who are available to work on demand when they're free versus having a schedule dictated to them with a large amount of hours. And a lot of those people can come in and do a great job and hit the ground running. You know, Alex, you're in one queen city, Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm in another Charlotte, North Carolina. And then we've got my buddy, Chris Hooks in Raleigh, kind of bringing all of this together with technology. We used to record these in the studio at uh, 680 AM WPTF in Raleigh, but COVID has helped us kind of innovate the way that we do these podcasts. And so as always, very, very thankful for Chris and the team at WPTF 
for putting this all together. Making a pivot, Alex, kind of back to your primary team. In part one, we we talked about Upshift kind of has two cultures, one for the hourly workforce, the upshifters, and then one for your regular employees, if you will. And how does hiring dictate your culture? We've really found we do a little bit of hiring uh, kind of at the executive level and upper management level for some of our clients. The process that we've built is actually really, really great. What we try to do in going through that process for our clients is really cement those folks, get them excited about working at the company And sometimes we do that by not even in the first conversation mentioning what company it is or in the ads, what company that we're hiring for. We want them excited about the opportunity and really kind of not only pull them in from the standpoint of their mind, but also their heart. How does Upshift really kind of focus on the hiring process for those folks that are working on the website, working in in your offices to to kind of build that culture? Our focus has always been, it's better to have one superstar than five mediocre performers. Um, and so we look for people who have really good work ethic, who are really excited and passionate about what we're doing, and who can make a disproportionate impact. We find that when everyone on the team is highly motivated and everyone is willing to make that disproportionate impact, things work better. We are very cognizant of finding culture fits and making sure that before someone comes in, they're not just excited about the pay or the benefits, they're also excited about the industry and the opportunities for growth. Because that's really the biggest thing that we have to offer hires is being part of a company that is revolutionizing an industry and has a lot of room for growth. One of the things that we always like to say is that we throw people rope and we keep throwing it to them. They either hang themselves or they run with it. And there are some people who are just not going to be able to hack it. And we'd rather have them hang themselves quick by giving them responsibilities rather than finding out later on. And then there's a lot of people who you give them the rope and they just keep running. And the people who love having that rope, love having the ownership and the responsibility are the ones that we've found are the best employees. Alex, that's an interesting take. We actually have a client that built a business over 20, 25 years, and it's close to about a $50, $60 million business in annual revenue. And the the core associates, there's about 50 to 75. And what he found, just kind of reflecting on his time, that over the course of time, he's probably had about five to six X of the number of employees kind of walk through those doors and then walk back out just to get to their A team, if you will. And he's had that quote unquote A team a couple different times during his 25 years in business. But to your point, they're they're not bashful about kind of moving on from folks when they don't work out. But on the other side of that, they really care for their employees once they find that A player. Yeah, absolutely. And our biggest investor is Indeed.com. And our board member from there, earlier this year, there were a couple people who didn't work out after being hired. And we were talking about it during a board meeting. Obviously, it's something that you never want to have happen and it feels bad. But at that time, he told us, hey, if you guys have a 50% success rate and the people who are success are rock stars, then that's great. You know, you're never going to succeed with every hire. The important thing is failing fast. What's been the toughest thing culture-wise that Upshift has had to go through since you all started? 
probably COVID for our sales team specifically, because our sales team pre-COVID was very focused on in-person sales. So industry events, drop-ins, those types of things. And the people who we hired, we hired because we knew that they were good at that. And during COVID, they had to transition to a completely remote selling model. And for the first four months of COVID, they had to deal with the fact that no one was buying anything, no matter how you were selling it. And it's obviously a challenge to motivate and keep people engaged when there's really not much work for them to be doing. And and kudos to our, our CEO who oversees the sales team who was able to keep them busy during that time and, and spent most of the time on improving how they do things and building out a a digital sales machine that's really starting to pay off now. You know, to your point, everybody just kind of locked into place during the first three or four months of this. But what we're really finding is that, you know, really since June, July, most of our clients, most of the folks that we're interacting with are really starting to charge ahead with confidence and making investments so that they come out of this better on the other side and and are really ready to take off in in 2021. How are you all as leaders thinking about kind of this? I don't know that we'll ever have a post-COVID world, but let's call it kind of a a post-vaccine world. How are you and the leadership team thinking about 2021 and and into the future? We're excited about it. Talking to leadership at at different clients and prospective clients, we've been hearing the same thing. You have that people want to come out of this stronger. And the biggest thing is that they are open to changes now. I think when there's a big shakeup like this, people take a second look at what they're doing and realize there may be other ways of doing it. I think one of the biggest changes that we're going to see with this tight labor market is businesses that can do it moving to more flexible but more highly paid models for their hourly labor. And one example I can give about that is we've been working with a hotel group that prior to COVID did most of their housekeeping, staffing, or pretty much all of it in-house. They were paying housekeepers you know, 11 or 12 bucks an hour, and every housekeeper worked 40 hours a week. Post-COVID, they are planning on switching up their model to not have full-time housekeepers, but the housekeepers that they have come in for a couple hours a day instead of eight hours, but they're paid like 50% more. And that model we think is going to work very well because people are going to be a lot more productive when they're paid more from what we found. And people are more motivated on those shorter shifts. You know, people get burnt out on an eight hour shift. And that's just one example, but we hear from a lot of clients and prospective clients that they want to change things that they're doing. And there's finally some leeway for them to do so where in the past, they didn't feel like there was. Excellent. So Alex really enjoyed the conversation. How can people learn more about Upshift? The best way to learn more about Upshift is just go into our website, www.upshift.work. And when you get there, you'll have the option to say that you're looking to hire or looking to work, and you'll be able to learn more about each side of Upshift. Congratulations on you all's success and the culture that you've built. Really enjoyed the conversation. Take care. Thanks, Chris. You've been listening to the Building a Leadership Culture podcast with Applied Vision Works Principal Strategic Advisor Bruce Gresham. Questions, concerns? Please email Craig Chase at cchase at appliedvisionworks.com or call 800 786 4332. This has been an exclusive presentation of 680 WPTF and Applied Vision Works.